Listeners, I'm afraid I must inform you of an extremely unfortunate event. Several of them, in fact. So many that we've decided to create a podcast to chronicle them all. But if you're interested in well-produced podcasts with celebrity guests, you would be better off listening to something else. There will be no famous people on this show, and only the cheapest editing software will be used. There won't even be a Squarespace ad. For those of you brave enough to stay, welcome to our perilous podcast discussing a series of unfortunate events by Lemony Snicket. Canceled. For, <laughs> I don't even know what. The boring lifestyles that we live. Oh. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Not So Young Adults, where two former teens try to recapture the glory days of their youth by discussing their favorite YA books to figure out what makes them so timeless. My name is Spencer, and as always, I am joined by my lovely co-host and resident librarian in training. It's Jess. I really liked the sound of the wet, mouthy sounds that happen when you're swinging your head around Ooh. right before you said my name. Yeah, it's a little inside scoop there. I was swinging my head. I did a little couple rolls, kind of like I was building up to saying her name. It was a fun time. <laughs> I really hope the audience can hear this sound, too. It's well, we'll amplify the crap out of that. <laughs> you know what I've been thinking about lately? What have you been thinking about? Some regrets I have. And regret I have from high school. Oh. Besides everything I said or did. Right. So I never got into writing essays for Jock's game. I never I never did that. I should have I could have made so much money. I think you could have, but I think your English teacher might have been able to like tell that that is not that student's voice. Now, but I think I could have like I think I could have gotten to like a, a B or like a C plus. Really? I think I could have I could have I could have augmented my own style. I okay. think just enough. I wasn't that smart. I think I would have been just passable. I just would have been willing to do it. Right. Well, kids these days, I mean, are out of that. Like that market is out. AI is in. Mm, so like Yeah, baby. You're you had the opportunity and you, you let it slip between your fingers. Oh man, much like all of our jobs soon will be. <laughs> that career was taken away by chat GTP. PTT PT GPT. Is it GP GP? Well, you want you right your say your name for me, Chat GPT, if you're so getting smart. Well, you say your name. I don't have to say. You just know everything now. <laughs> so we're back here we're with back. the end book, the 13th point two episode uh, for you today. So, so today this is the end of the end. We're actually at the end of the end. Correct. We'll do another like wrap up of the whole series episode. Um, and maybe we'll talk about, you know, the TV show and yeah. the other books that Lemony Snicket has come out with. And yeah, and we're going to do Beatrice Diaries and Unauthorized Autobiography. I know there's the um, there's the series. It's like All the Wrong Questions, I think it's called, that is like about a young Lemony Snicket. Right, but his adventures through the VFD and stuff like that. Yeah, it's too. There's too many books, and it's too distant. I'm cutting it off at the two 
Be- the Beatrice Diaries yeah, and but if one. you yeah. guys have read it or want to read it please let us know how you feel about yeah. it like it, add us on Goodreads yeah talk about it we would love to know oh absolutely and if you like really want us to review it we will if you like all message us we just figured that that's probably beyond what anyone I think right. I think everyone we're all ready to go on to a new books we're ready as to much move as we love this series yeah summer honestly oh it's this. hot in this apartment it's hot outside in texas and we are ready for hot boy summer this this sad boy summer is, is so hot i can't tell my tears from my sweats i said hot boy summer I know and you i did. realized that i should have said sad boy summer it's sad boy but summer the hot is making me sad Sad Boy Summer is going to be Hot Boy Summer this year, but Sad Boy Summer is the official copyrighted brand. Correct. We will talk about more when we get there. Let's get back on track. (laughs) Jesus Christ. So we are going to do things a little bit differently today. Yeah. So we're actually starting with the unfortunate phase, and we're going to talk about the VFD. Yes. So um, I thought there was going to be a lot more VFD stuff, so much that I didn't want to get into it in the last episode for brevity's sake. There's not that much, so I just want to run over all the last things we learned about the VFD in this final book, which is not a ton, uh, much to a lot of people's frustration. We don't learn a lot. but So just to quickly round out that, um, we have Ishmael, who we only really know was a member of VFD at some point and had a feud with Olaf based around Ishmael believing and Olaf denying that Olaf burned down Ishmael's house. Yeah, I think I can speak for all of us when I say that. Ishmael was, like, not a good dude. No, and so it's implied that he kind of pushed the Boulderlairs out and probably got riled people to get the Boulderlair parents out of the island mm-hmm. and took over their position as facilitator and mm-hmm. then just made everything, like, suck. Right. Except for him. Um, and then we get a VFD device, the Vaporetto of Favorite Detitus which is a quickly assembled raft or boat made out of one's favorite things. Or trash, really. Well, detritus, yeah, so garbage or whatever. But um, in in uh, Kit Snicket's case, that's the book raft she made. So that was her favorite thing. She brought all the books together that got dropped from the air mobile home in the ocean and made a raft for herself. And she did manage to take the time to toss out the book she didn't like <laughs> as you make it a raft, which I respect. Uh, you know, I uh, listened to most of this book, and so I didn't get to see the illustration of this VFD. Mm-hmm. Um, however, it is much larger than yes. I anticipated. And I'm sure Brett Helquist took some liberties with that. Yeah, if I had not seen it, I would have imagined it being much smaller as well. I was thinking like the size of the, the thing Leo couldn't fit on in the right, titanic right like just enough for kit in the snake mm-hmm. but no it's a big old cube of books <laughs> makes you wonder if she oh, could have like, like helped like a them literal cube it's kind of, it's like a, a, a shipping container size yeah. almost but like you squish it into a cube form it's it's huge <laughs> it's too big really it's how many uh, books does kit snicket like she, i mean she's nah, a member of vft yeah. quite a few <laughs> um we also get um, a, a hint about the harpoon gun, uh, just a bit of a suggestion that the harpoon gun has a history with the VFD and its various members. The only mention is that it was it was at a like a fair, a carnival that the Boulder parents were at, and I think the children with, were with them. So it's just saying like like the harpoon gun that was kind of like sitting by the cotton candy machine at the okay, gotcha. carnival, and like as far as I. No, you don't really have harpoon guns at carnivals, so it seems like it would be there as like a like because purpose. of yeah for like a VFD or the villain thing. So, 
So it's interesting. So I don't tend to like that kind of thing. I like that he just grabbed a harpoon gun. Grabbed a harpoon gun. I don't like assigning weight to like every object in a, uh, yeah, in a no, show it gets or a series. Exhausting. And you're just like, why? Is, not everything needs to be like this precious, like historical thing. But whatever. That's 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 mostly about my beef with Star Wars, where like every object has like a whole book written about it now. Anyways, oh, yeah. Don't need to get into that. Um, and then we have the Caliban family, which is just behind the Snicket's and Boldelairs of as far as like interconnected families in this world. So we have Miranda and her husband Thursday, who lived together in the island, um, presumably arriving sometime during the Boldelair parents' reign as facilitators. Uh, but at some point while Miranda was pregnant, Thursday left the island because of Ishmael's new rules. They were cramping his vibe. And he's like, I'm out of here and I'm not taking my pregnant wife with me. Um, and then so either either he was in VFD already or he joined after he left. But at some point he ends up as an associate of Kit Snicket's. And then he dies at some point, I believe, or he's on, his whereabouts are unknown for him. Alive. Well, I'm not sure. Well, because he's Kit not in the picture. It seemed like he was very much alive. She'd like oh, just she? spoken to him. Okay, so he's so he's okay. That makes sense. So he's still alive, but um, Miranda tells Friday, their daughter, that he died in a manatee accident, trying to spare her from all the evils of the world. Which is interesting because you guys may remember in Grim Grotto, Captain Wittershins tells Fiona that her dad died in a manatee-related incident, or I think her mom died in an incident. Ooh, which makes you wonder: it's, is that also a lie? Right. And also is like, or was it the same accident? Oh no, no, no! Because he's still alive, Just right? <laughs> but then, but and I think I think it's implied that the manatee lies. Wittershin telling her that is also a lie. I think yeah. we're supposed to believe. But it's like died by, by died by manatee, like a VFD thing to say. Is that like its own code? Well, it would make sense. Such right? a random because manatees thing. are very friendly, right? They're like yeah, little. I want to say hippopotamuses, but hippopotamuses kill a lot of humans. But aren't they related? But they're closer related to like a hippopotamus and elephants than like uh, cetaceans. Oh my god, correct, we're getting into correct, biology correct. corner again. Yeah, we yeah, need yeah, only yeah, to do yeah. this. But but like they're just friendly little guys. They're just friendly little dudes. I swam with manatees. They're just cute they're little friendly so guys. Cute. Oh my gosh, guys, look up manatees mm -hmm. in the Florida Everglades. That mm -hmm. they live over there, right? Mm hmm. Yeah, almost exclusively. By, yeah, so. <laughs> They're so cute, but you like, yeah. They're they're not gonna be viciously attacking things. Yeah, and I, but I do think VFD uh, they love irony. They love oh, dramatic irony that and stuff. True. So I think but that's I why they would use that. It would be a manatee incident if it was a death involving manatees, not <laughs> an accident. Yes, a manatee related incident. <laughs> I, I do agree. And then it gets a little weirder because so, we have Olivia Caliban, who we previously have met in the story. But you probably remember her by her stage name, Madam Lulu. Oh. Now, I don't want to give anything away. This seems weird in the books, but there's much more of a real connection in the yes. show. That's her name in the show, yes. right? Yes. I did not make this connection myself. Yeah. So we only know, I believe in the books, uh, that Madam Lulu is named Olivia. I don't think we get her last name in the books, but we do get in the show... And and there's a whole lot more there, but we don't know how they're related to the rest of the Calibans. Right, but she has to be. That's not just a coincidence. No, I mean it must be. Yeah, it's clearly it was a choice. And then the then there's the possible relative named Monday, who's mentioned a couple times in this book, and Olaf mentions having them being an associate of his. Of Olaf specifically. Yeah, but he doesn't mention that they're a Caliban. It's just go by the name. 
weekday name tradition. You gotcha, know. gotcha. And also, how fitting is it that of all the weekdays to associate with Olaf, it would be Monday. It would be a Monday. The most evil that makes a of lot all the of days. sense. <laughs> if, of all the days of the week, Monday is the most evil. If, if Dan Han- Handler <laughs> did that on purpose. Dan Handler. Oh, you guys friends? <laughs> And then um, also we we learn that the Baudelaire's and Snicket families have a long shared, possibly like quasi incestuous, because there seems to be a lot of crossover between the families. Uh, they have a long history with each other, but a lot of dating in between families. Not truly incestuous, but like or just like uh, they're they've been very close always, right? But but then um, they they share a tradition of naming their children after people who have died, which it, the implication to me is that they are naming. The Baudelaire's would name their children after people who had died in the Snicket family and vice versa, kind of right, like that. Right, And then there's a weird thing that I'm kind of confused by because um, the end, the, the parents mentioned that if uh, Violet had been a boy, they were going to name them Lemony. Right. But Lemony, the one we know, is alive and would have been alive at that time. So was it a... Di- so... Right. Well, see, here's here's another thing, right? Because in Kit's last few words she talks about all that she's lost or maybe right. it's not her last few words but, but no yeah but, it's but around there. that time she talks about all that she's lost and she says her brothers mm-hmm. multiple but but he can't but lemony's not dead he's no, writing no, no, this no. story That's what yeah i'm wondering if maybe he did something like fake his own death oh but did, oh, did, no sort. he did didn't he didn't he fake his own death don't we know that? Maybe. I don't know. Oh, I feel like... He, oh, but man. But that would make sense if that was the case, that well, he had faked yeah. his death prior to the Baudelaire children even being yeah. born. Otherwise, we would have seen him more in this story as we have Jacques and Kit. Right. I'm going to look into this more and we'll... we'll get a, I'll try to find an answer to this in the next book okay. or in the next episode. Good. Good, good, good. Um, and so that would make sense that he would be yeah. named, especially because we know that Beatrice and Lemony had like a thing prior to right. her marrying. What's his name? Daddy Baudelaire. Oh, uh, Bertrand. Bertrand. <laughs> Ugh, rough. Bertrand and Beatrice. <laughs> Awful. Awful stuff. Um, and then finally, we get an interesting comment about Mr. Poe. Perhaps oh, yeah. the only interesting thing said about him in the entire series Olaf mentions that at one time, Mr. Poe had adoption papers hidden in his hat. And this anecdote is also mentioned in a special edition of The Bad Beginning. And so the fan wiki says that Mr. Poe hid the papers in his hat. But at least in the end, it doesn't specify whether Poe knew the papers were there or not, whether he hid them or someone else hid them there. And Mr. Poe, knowing him... He could have he easily no been idea. duped into <laughs> some scheme totally like this. He's ignorant of the whole thing. <laughs> but then also we learn that at the time that Poe had these hidden papers, he went by a stage name. We don't know what that stage name was, but he was, he was living somewhat of a double life. Possible VFD member? I don't believe that. I don't believe That's that. That's a fan theory. There's no way. Dunce. He's too actively a force of negativity in the Baudelaire's lives to be a VFT member. <laughs> he tries so hard to be ignorant. Yeah, like, there's no way. No. That man has never read the Odyssey. There's no way he's read anything. He's, he's only half read the Daily Punctilio. Yeah. All right, but that's our VFT roundup, so now we're going to take it... We're like, going to do something a little yeah. bit different. 
So normally we would then do Spencer's part now, which is his road to pretension, but we thought that we would split up my part. So um, I'm going to talk about the first half of of my little Mm -hmm. YA information station, and that's about the reception of the book and the series as a total. So there seems to be a lot of mixed reviews, and I'm going to put these in two categories mostly, right? Those that get it like you and I, Spencer, Um, Mm -hmm. and then those that don't get it. Now, there are some people who fit in between these two categories who get what Handler was trying to do but did not like not having the answers. Which which is valid, super valid. If you have that point, I like that. That's great. That's great for you to think that. Right. I totally get that, but I am so in the camp of, like, I don't need to know. I, I I love mystery. I'm... I often am so upset when when a book spells things out for me i'd rather just let me get there but yeah sometimes i do get disappointed like oh i knew it why did you have to tell me though because i was i know trying to be impressive i know it sucks i hate when a book's (laughs) it's always my favorite example of gas i think i've done this a million times but it's (laughs) like that when they see the eyes of tj eckelberg these like distended eyes and a billboard looking over a wasteland they're like (laughs) the eyes were looking over everything like the like, eyes oh of God. God. And I was like, thanks, Fitzgerald. We get it. it. They were the eyes of God. We know every English teacher is going to say this to every student for the next hundred years. Right. You don't have to tell us. So now that we have these two main or I guess three main camps, um, it, it's much more fun to read about the reviews that just don't get it. Um, okay. But actually, before that, I do want to talk about my sources that I use. So I have classic librarian. So I've used Common Sense Media, which is a family-based mm. website. And, and, okay, this it, is... This no, sounds, honestly, sounds this right-wing. Is, sounds libertarian. Not necessarily, because m- my personal stance is if you're a parent, you can control what your child wants oh, absolutely. to read at, at all, right? Like, that is your decision, right? The only thing is just you can't tell me what my kid can read right you can't tell other people what other people's children should be reading and my message to all the libertarian and right-wing people out there media that use the name common sense that just take that name because there's so many that do it i think you need to be required to actually have read thomas Paine's common sense that's all i'm gonna say (laughs) okay before you just start taking that willy-nilly no i will say and maybe they have i will say common sense media is a really good resource especially for librarians because they have a really good course on digital literacy and a lot of really good resources for that all jokes aside i think i swear to god i've actually used that as a source on some episode or another before oh i'm sure that sounds very familiar good because they have reviews now the point is it's mainly for like the media side of it is for uh parents to go to determine like if a movie or a show or a book is appropriate for their kid so they'll look at the reviews and they'll be like yeah this is probably best for like these audiences because of this reason oh yeah i've been and at so the site it's like it, it's a pretty solid resource as a parent if you mm-hmm. are like worried about that i don't know if i like mind comp being on the top summer reads <laughs> I, I don't think it is i don't think it is oh that's transformers uh, i'm so yeah, sorry yeah, yeah. Um, it's actually a good website. And, it and is. I'm so sorry. I've been attacking this website I know nothing about. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, it's a solid resource. Um, and there's a section where both parents and kids can review a piece of work. So naturally, I'm going to read a couple of kid reviews. Please do. Okay. Actually, first, I want to start off with what the reviewers at Common Sense Media said about the book because my first kid review like mentioned it. 
So it says, parents need to know that the humor in this series is of the dark, bleak variety, and many kids don't get the joke. They just see it as an adventure. Few books are seen as differently by adults and kids as this series. You'll probably enjoy it almost as much as your children, but for entirely different reasons. Which, we're just going to leave that alone. No, I think that's fair. And I'm going to read this first comment from a kid. It just says, a kid age 11 years old. No need to, yeah, give us deets on the kid. Yeah, yeah. It says, um, (laughs) five stars, titled, Don't Patronize Children. (laughs) It says, Common Sense Media says that most kids will just see it it as an adventure. That's not true. Please do not patronize children, okay? Almost all kids will get it. (laughs) No, because I was going to say, I think the point is kids will just see it as what it is. They, they, Yeah, no, I I don't even think I was getting enough credit. Yeah, they will understand it. We've talked a million times. It's so perfectly aimed for kids. It's no, exactly. beautifully and, and so that's why, I mean, Common Sense Media is a pretty good website, but that review just kind of missed the whole point. Um, okay, so this next one is from a teen, age 13, um, and they said this book had a great ending because it helped the Baudelaire's believe that they could have their troubles resolved. I also like how they made Car- Count Olaf seem more like an actual human that had emotions besides hate and greed. Wow. Like when he kissed Kit Snicket or when he helped her have her child. Overall, this was a great ending of a great series. Wow, that's a very insightful uh, take on the book. I, I thought a very, so too. I don't yeah. even know if I would have been that uh if i would have read it that well at that age i mean yeah no same i i'm very impressed um and then this next one is from a nine-year-old and he gave it four stars or she he or she gave it four stars honestly and impressed they they give anything but five or one kids are <laughs> <right>? crazy you know? <laughs> well you'll see why <laughs> said uh, for the people who finished the last 13 books this is a great ending but it is really disgusting when Count Olaf kisses Kit Snicket. <laughs> solid take. It's true. <laughs> I love that. I know. It is, it is upsetting. No, it is. It is. It says, also, the Baudelaire's are now mature since they take care of a baby. Overall, Aww. I recommend this book to anyone who thinks the last 12 books were exciting. I'm, I'm starting to get a little self-conscious about my uh, piece because it seems like nine-year-olds are understanding everything I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I might just be... I can tell you, when I was a nine-year-old, I was not this advanced, I think, no, in, in being no. able to kind of analyze a piece of work. I could yeah. read it and I could tell you what happened. I could tell you the main points, but I couldn't do any sort of critical thinking at that age. Yeah, no, absolutely. I would have not made the connection of them having to be mature because they have a baby now or like that whole idea. Right. But it's, I mean, it's That's beautiful great. to see that. I love that. It's great. I love, I love hearing from kids that way. Um, okay. So then <laughs> I, I do want to read a couple of reviews from Goodreads, which I feel like we Ooh, all know. The Goodreads, Goodreads ones right? are rough. I read those. Okay. So I'm going to read one from Barb. Barb, oh no. Who gave it one star. No, Barb, no. <laughs> She's this, about as old as you think she is. This isn't for you, Barb. You're not the target audience. She gave it one star. She said, this book infuriated, all caps, <laughs> infuriated me, exclamation point. Barb, no. <laughs> it gets worse. What a lazy author. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so lazy. <laughs> 
taking us down the garden path through 12 books and then ending the series without really completing the story. That's so what he did. She's so right. He, <laughs> he totally just stopped trying at the end. No way it gets worse. As a children's librarian, I no longer <laughs> recommend this series to kids. Oh, Barb. You become I, jaded. I hate to see them as disappointed as I was at this really <laughs> stupid final book. <laughs> Barb, no. she's Oh, she's been jaded. She then goes on, uh, shame on you. <laughs> shame on you, Mr. Snicket, is what she says with two exclamation points that time. No. You took the chicken's way out. <laughs> next idea, have, or sorry, next time, have an idea of where you expect the series to go before you start it truly shameful damn she wow ripped him up snicket <laughs> can we get a can we get a police check on snicket he's gotta be he's gotta be wrecked right now to be fair oh uh, like someone commented like you're also kind of speaking exactly against the message of this book yeah <laughs> I, and i would also argue that it was incredibly brave of daniel handler to do the ending he did because yeah. it's not a commercially like friendly and it's not an ending that sells units it's not it, he he really took a risk with it is what i'm trying to say no he really did uh, um and then kira replies to barb and says i agree 100 percent that ending screamed i just want to finish the series which <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, I guess, whatever. If he had at least concluded the strings he tied and the guns he showed, then the little sprinkles here and there of questions could be theorized to be, quote, not yet answered. But using that answer for every single thing is lazy and honestly just disappointing. I have recommended people away from this series by telling them about this. Well, yeah. I, I'm sure. I'm sure he. There was no reason that he. He had no reason other than he was lazy for not. Which answered everything. After reading this, I have to ask the question: Is this ending better than the ending of Lost? Yes, there was <laughs> a brief moment where I thought those endings were the same ending. <laughs> okay. I literally wrote a note in my book. <laughs> And skip ahead 20 seconds if you still don't want to be spoiled on the end of Lost. Yeah, to be fair, I've not watched the end of Lost, but I have been spoiled. Same. So. Exactly the same. But I was—I literally wrote in the margins, are they in purgatory? Is the <laughs> island purgatory? I, I had that theory for half I a mean, second. I we have those biblical themes That's happening. That's what I was thinking. And like, there's like, they build the boat and they can leave or not. And mm -hmm. like, uh, to the evil side or whatever, potentially the evils of the world. I'm like, it, I'm like, it's got purgatory vibes. It does. It it do. It got purgy purgy vibes. Well, that makes me feel better that I wasn't the only one thinking about Lost. Yeah, I I didn't make the connection to Lost, but I did have that. I thought of that ending. <laughs> well, okay, yeah, that's pretty much it for my little review reads. So Spencer, why don't you take us down? down the old road all right that's right guys it's time for the road to pretension as we beep. beep beep indeed as we explore a literary device technique or idea from this week's book to see how it affects the story but as we come to the end of a review of a series of unfortunate events i wanted to look at the story's ending and what it says about the series as a whole and more specifically my feelings about the ending and how they differ from 
the reviews we've talked about right now um, and a bit of a rebuttal against the people who didn't like the ending. And since we're changing the format for my Road to Pretension, I figured might as well change the name. So for just this episode, Road to Pretension will be replaced by a new segment I'm calling Spencer Explains Why He's Smarter Than You and How All of Your Opinions Are Wrong. (laughs) What's the acronym for that? Uh, it's, It's long. Probably more of an initialism. <laughs> uh, but as we said many times before, a series of unfortunate events is about childhood. And there are many, many books about the many pitfalls of adolescence and childhood. But what makes the series of unfortunate events special in this regard is that it is a series of books about how childhood feels. Mm, it captures yeah. what it feels like to be a child. And children feel helpless yeah. because adults are frustratingly ignorant of the things that really matter. And the world feels endlessly big and confusing and often incredibly frightening. Mm-hmm. But I just think its ability to openly talk about the many absurd and unjust facts of life with honesty and humor that makes these books so compelling. That's why we like them. That's why we're here, people. Yep. To paraphrase uh, Quentin Tarantino... <laughs> We read about the horrible stuff because it's fun, Barb. <laughs> it's just fun. Why are you so upset? Yeah, come on. Let us enjoy it. Uh, but Series of Fortune Events is also about growing up. It's through So through the series, we watch the Boulder siblings learn and grow from the many terrible events they face. And their growth is most clearly shown through the theme of moral relativism, a topic we've mentioned many times. This first is represented most clearly by the Baudelaire Guardians. When we go from Count Olaf, the most purely evil, contrast by their next guardian, Uncle Monty, who's, I would say, is the most purely noble and yeah, good. Yeah, out of all of them. Yeah. And from there, we just get a series of guardians in ever-worsening quality, which tend to blur the lines between good and evil. You know, is Aunt Josephine more evil than Olaf? for sacrificing the Baudelaire's to him. Like, in some ways, kind of. Kind of, yeah. She, it's almost I mean, more noble to like to try to capture the Baudelaire's for money than to just give them up out of fear, you right. know? Right, yeah. As Barb would say, the chicken's way out. Oh, so so, so much. It's so, it's so much easier to make a nuanced like set of characters in a series than to just make them Voldemort and Harry Potter and then like not even worry. But anyways, right. whatever. <laughs> but then... um. After book seven, when we don't have any guardians anymore, this theme is taken up by VFD, an institution whose nobility becomes increasingly questionable as the children learn more about it. As I think a lot of us have learned as we become adults, the more you learn about the world, the worse it is. Yep. Um, And then the children themselves are forced into situations which cause them to question their own morality, which culminates in the penultimate peril with the children committing arson landing them in the same bonus Count Olaf, just as someone else, maybe Count Olaf, committing arson, caused them to end up under Count Olaf's care in the first place. Still can't get over... Burn the hotel. You, yeah, you speaking in Sonny's <laughs> voice to burn the hotel. But not to just keep flaming Barb, I think, you know, like, this series does seem really planned out in that, like, this, the Baudelaire's end up with Olaf from a fire... They go into this book with Olaf after a fire that they now caused. Mm-hmm. Seems like an arc was being established. Yeah, I think so. It's a good full circle moment. Yeah. 
that storyline was named after a famous Greek figure, it would be Archimedes. That's a good joke. That's solid. Oh, thank you. (laughs) I thought it was terrible, but I'll take it. Um, but but I can see how going from penultimate peril with this high concept setting, carousel of returning characters, to ending the series in a nondescript island with a villain we've never met before could feel kind of disappointing, or as once again Barb would say, a chicken's way out. I could I could see that. I could see surface level why you would think that. For sure, but I feel Not- like it also kind of flows in with literally every other book. Like penultimate peril is the odd one out. Yes. So we'll talk about it. Okay. But because for me, the island, which I feel like people specifically have a problem with, is what makes this story work and really clinches it for me. Because if a series of unfortunate events is about growing up, then the island represents the final transition from adolescence to adulthood. Hmm. And so I made this connection when thinking about the phrase eventually everything washes up on our shores, which is said in one form or another by Ishmael and other islanders throughout the story. So clearly Handler's trying to get you to think about that. There's something important about the idea that everything, everyone eventually gets to this place. You know, I never even thought twice about it. That's why the book boys are here to tell you why I'm smarter than you and everything you think is wrong. So it implies that stranding on the island is an inevitable and universal experience, something much like becoming an adult, growing up. We all have to do, we all face this, we all wash up on that shore of adulthood unless we die of polio first. But also islands famously represent isolation and we associate them in stories with survival, self-reliance. Castaways end up on these shores and must learn to fend for themselves with no society to protect them, much like Many of us did going to college, being on our own for the first time with no parents to do our laundry or cook us food. Basically, I'm saying that like people in tragic boating accidents ending up on a desert island is similar to going to college. For the Baudelaire's, the island is where they relinquish the last shreds of their childhood. By the final book, the children had long abandoned their belief in adults and traditional institutions that were supposed to protect them. But despite all the disappointment and the hurt they have faced, deep down the children still hoped for someone, probably hoped for someone to protect them from the evils of the world, namely their parents. But isn't it until the end of this book, with Kit Snicket dying before their eyes, that the children finally relinquish the dream of being saved? To quote, they cried for the world. And most of all, of course, the Baudelaire orphans cried for their parents, who they knew, finally, they would never see again. Even though Kit Snicket had not brought them news of their parents, her story of the great unknown made them see at last that the people who had written all those chapters in a series of unfortunate events were gone forever into the great unknown. And that Violet, Klaus, and Sunny would be orphans forever. Too. saddest moment of the book oh that devastated me it's absolutely awful and and honestly honestly it feels like that devastating moment when you realize that you are no longer a kid right like i feel like mm, everyone's exactly. kind of gone through that where you're just like oh like childhood is lost forever to me now i'll tell you when i had that moment <laughs> 
I was, it was my 18th birthday. <laughs> I was driving with my girlfriend at the time who was older than me. Mm-hmm. Who's, you know, who she was like 20. Right. So, but she seemed infinitely wise to me as a, as a kid because she yeah. was in college and I was in high school. It's problematic now, but whatever. But I remember we're driving to the movie and she's like, wow, you'll never be a kid again. You'll always be an adult. That's the only, that's, you know, she says something like that. And I just went, oh, man. <laughs> an existential crisis oh, in the passenger seat well because it's also the thing as a kid all you ever want as a kid is to be an adult and then when you're an adult you're like oh man like i squandered it oh no this is <laughs> why did i even want to get here <laughs> yeah and so that passage mentions the other major symbol of the book the great unknown the mysterious entity i found in some of the reviews i've read is a bit of a source of frustration for those who don't like the conclusion of the series uh, the creature or machine either rescues or kills Captain Wittershins, Fiona, Ferdinand, and worst of all, the Quagmire triplets, robbing all of us of the orphan reunion we all so desperately wanted to happen. Truly. And it prevents us from solving a lot of the many, many mysteries left unexplained by the series' end. One of them being what the heck the great unknown even is. Yeah, I'm going to be honest. I thought that that would be answered. But that's the thing. Whether the great unknown is a creature or a machine, it is undoubtedly a metaphor, which in general I personally find to be far better than most creatures or machines. (laughs) But that may be a unique perspective. (laughs) (laughs) The great unknown is frustrating, but I think it's supposed to be. The giant question mark drifting menacingly across the ocean is emblematic of the great mysteries of our lives. It is ambiguity incarnate. It is the lingering doubt scratching in the back of your mind, reminding you of the unanswerable questions you're too afraid to ask. Where did life come from? What happens to us when we die? What is in the goddamn sugar bowl? Why wouldn't he tell us that? It's the only <laughs> one I wanted to know. I just want to point out that we are recording right next to our sleeping dog, and did, she did not flinch. Did not open an <laughs> eyelid. Or didn't twitch a whisker. <laughs> Truly did it. She she is ambiguity incarnate. <laughs> but the great unknown also represents a difficult truth you only learn as an adult. The truth that the world is no less confusing and frightening than it was when you were a child. Yeah, because you know what you didn't have whenever you became an adult. All the answers. <laughs> Turns out no one just gives you a paper with all the answers yeah, on it. Yeah, you know literally the same amount as you did the day before. <laughs> but to, to as the Baudelaire's, or as Snicket might put it, there were many details of the Baudelaire's lives that seemed like a strange, unreadable shape of some great unknown. And no matter how much one reads, the whole story can never be told. Mm. That's frustrating. Mm. I get that. That's also life and growing up. Yeah. And upon learning this sad truth, the Baudelaire's were faced with a choice to either hide from the mysteries and the evils of the world or face them head on. In other words, would they live like Ishmael and the Islanders living safe but incredibly flavorless lives? Or would they leave the island like their parents did? A choice that ultimately led to so much misery in the Baudelaire siblings' lives 
but also led to the Baudelaire's lives themselves. But Stinkett, I think, makes it clear which choice he thinks is right. While the book ends with the children accepting a quiet, safe life alone on the island, it's an ersatz ending. Because a life of fear, even if you have every reason to be afraid, isn't a real life. The true ending, chapter 14, is the Baudelaire's choosing to make the same foolish decision as their parents. Because in raising Beatrice, they learn the same thing their parents did when they were pregnant with Violet. That life is far too precious to hide away in fear. Am I crying? I don't know. Is, is, is that a happy ending? I mean, not really. Nor is it a particularly satisfying one. Yeah. But it's the only ending this story could have had. And a snicket warns us in the very first lines of this series of unfortunate events. If you are interested in stories with happy endings would be better off reading some other books he literally said it and then it's addressed to barb <laughs> wow i didn't even catch that the first time <laughs> well done thank you. you you said it way better than I <laughs> a lot more eloquent we ended up cutting out but in the middle of that whole thing <laughs> just as like you know, the thing is, though, when you grow up, you don't get all the answers. And I was like, babe, not yet. Hold on. <laughs> we got to save that point. <laughs> kind of building to the thing here. But you did it well. No, thank yeah. you. Thank you. I'm happy with that. I, I truly love this idea. I don't want to keep going on too long, but I love the children starting as orphans and then they become adults as they become parents not to advocate for child pregnancy. I'm seeing no. this more metaphorically, but like... But it's so... It's a beautiful, like, circle. Yeah. And like, because the, they're not yeah. getting... They're not getting what they deserve, but they're no. able to give it to someone else, which is right. often so true in how it happens in real life. Yeah, they're know? they're afraid. They face so many things. They have so many secrets and, and so many parts of their lives that they'll probably never want to share with Beatrice, too. But... That's not a reason to keep her from getting to see the real world. Right. I think it makes a great point about, like, the children had every reason to be afraid of the world and, and living life and to want to just be yeah, safe. but so did Aunt Josephine. Exactly. And what life was that? And you know what? Still got eaten by leeches. Exactly. So I found the ending truly beautiful. And, of course, ending the entire series of Beatrice, the word Beatrice, like, no, that's it was a chef's kiss. I mean, I'm a sucker for that kind of thing. Was I a little frustrated? Yes. Oh, yeah. Trust me, guys. I'm deeply upset that we never learned what the sugar bowl is. All right, y'all. So, you know that I'm into libraries. I mean, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm going to be a librarian. Um, and so I thought I'd take this opportunity to go over all of the libraries in this series that we see. Now, to be fair, I'm only going to talk about these libraries because we're going to bring them up in the next episode. We're going to do some power ranking in the next episode. Yeah, but I want to take... About them. Yeah, so I want to take the time now to kind of just like review all of yeah, them. Yeah, absolutely. You guys can maybe make your own power ranking list yeah. at home and then come meet up with us and then... We'll tell you what we think. Yeah, if you message us, I will give you our address. You can come to our <laughs> yeah, house. Yeah, you can. I, genuinely. Try it. <laughs> 
So uh, in the bad beginning, we have Justice Strauss's library, um, and for each library, I'm just kind of I'm just gonna kind of talk about the type and the use. No, I think this is good. We I think we need to get this information out before we rank them, so people remind both us and the audience right. what all these libraries were. It's been many many episodes. Uh, many Justice episodes. Strauss's. <laughs> episode okay um so her library was actually mostly a private library and it mostly contained law books but also had other things as well and the uses that the Baudelaire's found for this library was they were able to find that Putinesca recipe which I posted on Instagram if y'all wanted to try it yourselves and then um they also were able to use it to research inheritance laws as well I think they did a little bit of research of their own personal favorite things, but it was like mostly law books. And then book two, we have Monty's library. I do want to just quick, there is a Baudelaire library that we are missing, which I I think is almost unfair because I think it is almost established as like a picturesque, perfect library where it's just everything you could want. It's almost like the Beauty and the Beast library. That's how I imagine it. Correct. So I don't think it's worth ranking because I think it imagined to be the ideal version of a library where it's too good to be true. Well, there's two libraries that were burned down. In this story, right? There's the Baudelaire Library, which is everything the Baudelaire's would have ever wanted out of a library. Exactly. And then there's also the VFD Headquarters Library, which we'll talk about, which would have everything that the readers of this series would want in a library. (laughs) Similar, Madame Lulu's library as well, though. That's true. She has some some was also also had a lot of info we would want and and would bolt down. Aunt Josephine could be destroyed. We'll get there. We'll get there. So then we have Monty's library, which is really nothing but a brief mention of books in the corner of his reptile room. Probably biology texts. Yeah. Like textbooks and stuff. Exactly. The greater part of the collection aren't actually books, but reptiles. That is the library, is Correct. the reptiles. A library isn't, for those of you, a library yeah, or you, a for collection. For those of you idiots out there. A library tends to be a collection of books, but you can have a collection of other items as well. Which they talk about in book 13, the end. They talk about the library outside of the Arboretum or mm-hmm. around the Arboretum. But I think it mentions how there's a library is not necessarily a series of books. Right, exactly. It, it'd actually be more appropriate to call it collections at this point, which is what, honestly, librarians tend to refer to. Which one of us is on a road to pretension? This, this is my collection within the library. Anyways, so there wasn't really much use for Monty's library, but it was cool to look at. I bet there's a lot of great an- anatomical drawings in those books. Oh, like absolutely. Like old school. Oh, real nice to just leaf through. The, the star is... The animals. Correct. Um, Then we have Aunt Josephine's library, which is a grammar library. (laughs) Just taking all the fun out of books. No, it was not fun to read. However, it was useful because it helped them or helped Klaus to decipher Aunt Josephine's letter. It is a library, which is more than you could say about a lot of the ones we're going to have coming up. It is true. It's like the last like proper library we get in a long time. Okay, so now we have the Lucky Smells Library. Huge quotes. Now, this is what I would consider a corporate library, which do exist. Okay, I have looked at job openings (laughs) for, like, corporate businesses. Oh, wow. Um, 
sometimes the data library. But uh, this mm. instance, I would call it a corporate library, and it actually I'd only, call it a tax write-off. It only contains three books. This so is such a tax right. write-off. This is such a we provided literature for our employees, so we get a government grant. So just as a reminder for those of you listening at home, the Lucky Smells Library has three books, The History of the Lumber Mill, The Lumber Mill, (laughs) The History of the Lumber Mill, The Paltryville Constitution, and Advanced Ocular Science. The ocular science sounds kind of fun. Honestly, yeah. Sounds fake. It had a lot of big words in it, though, as we remember. That's right. But as minuscule as this library was, it was pretty useful because this was how they find out dr orwell was affecting klaus through her hypnotism right so useful in in a sense definitely then we have the proof rock library which it's not in the books right it's not so it's not really an important aspect in the books which is surprising considering it is a it holds a it's a school right and like come on that everybody has that experience of a school library library. right duh um where you sell weed (laughs) but in the series like the tv show it holds a much bigger value it's a whole uh storyline with the involving the library and the librarian there watch the show you guys because it's really good if you're frustrated with the lack of plot threads being answered and stuff, they cover a lot of it in the show, and it's it really is well so done. So good, the show's so 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 good. Yeah, I especially once you get to the lumber mill, then on where things start really changing, where they really start deviating from the canon, Ugh, gets so really good. good. Yeah, really really good. It it does feel like, and I believe Snicket wrote. Or the, at least like was part of writing for the kind of thing. But it does feel like him getting to go back to a second chance and like how my how would I connect things going back through it? How could I make it uh, kind of flow yeah. more? They reveal things a lot sooner, way sooner. Yeah, you, you BFD is like part of it from the beginning, basically. Yeah. But it's really good. So we'll talk about it more in the next episode. But highly recommend. Um, okay, so the proof rock library no use in the books. Next, we have the squalor library which is a catalog of all the in items in history. But to be fair, they have such a lack of knowledge of all the vast number of rooms they have. They could have a, just a full proper library hidden in there that they would just never had stumbled upon. Yeah, for all we know. For all we know. But the only one we see is awful. Right. So, and it has no real use in the plot, so Well, don't but no, but don't they learn about the very fine doilies? Isn't that oh, where they learn? maybe, maybe they do have like that little yeah. pamphlet, but that's like a pamphlet for the. Uh, so maybe the not. Thing. Yeah. So either way, it's awful. Yeah. So then after that, we have Hector's Secret Barn Library, which is a private library comprised mm-hmm. mostly of dull books. We also have the Village of Foul Devotees Library, which oh, only true. has one book. It only has Pony the, Party. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the fake book that is also featured in the show somewhat yes. pre- prevalently. But yeah, so, but the Hector has all the good stuff. Right, but um, both libraries don't really have any real use in the... No, but, you know, But it's, it, fun. it's still better library than some of the others. Yeah, Hector's like if all of Barnes & Noble was part of Band Book Week. <laughs> they did the, whole th- all, the whole thing was Band Book Week. Band Book Week all the, all the way down. The next one, I'm going to tell you right now, my least favorite. <laughs> okay, actually, I think it's my fa- most favorite. Oh, I, I hate the... it deeply. Okay, so the next one is the Library of Records at the hospital. 
right? And it is, as stated, a library of records. So it contains a record of literally any and everything. Now, this is a broad scope, which is not the best and the organization is also not very great either however i would love to get my grubby little fingers on this collection now now that you say it i do oh, it does seem Come on, tantalizing the file uh, you, ha- you can you can find so anything about things. everything i'll so, have to think about that one some more yes now it did have some use because this yeah. is where the kids found the 13th page of the snicket file which states that there may have been a survivor of the fire and as we know the rest of the snicket file had it really didn't factor into the rest of the story not at all hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and and if what you, a coward if you watch the tv show they have a really cool twist on this little and i love here. what they do with it it's really I really good i, I love it. a lot of it's one of the few translate adaptations that I genuinely am so on board with all the changes they make. Yeah, same thing. I still love the books as what they are. I think they're great as what they are, but I think they did a fantastic job making it a show, and they did all the right things to make it a more compelling show. Mm-hmm. Then we have Madame Lulu's archival library. Mm, this one I love. Yes, which is a library of archives. And this is a collection of artifacts that are seemingly related to VFD in some way. And so these artifacts could be anything. They could be like chapters of a book. They could be a newspaper. They could be like a transcript of a of a conversation. They could, it's literally anything, but as right. long as it pertains to information regarding what Madame Lulu is trying to communicate exactly yeah great personal library oh so fun yeah it's like if the fbi was you got to like go into their files and it's like all kinds of stuff you're like watergate tapes wow (laughs) right oh my god all right moving on to the vfd headquarters oh sorry 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 we're still back at madame lulu's archival library it was actually useful to the bodelaires because they found a map to the vfd headquarters within that archival library so Good usage. Next, we have the VFD Headquarters Library. The saddest library. The Library of Alexandria, (laughs) the story. As I mentioned before, it is burned down before we get to it. So I would put it in the same realm as the Baudelaire Library. In that it it existed and it was great and it was never accessible to the Baudelaire's from the start of the story. Seems like there's a metaphor in there, but I'm not going to worry about it. <laughs> yes, but um, it used to contain a large collection of the VFD information, which, <sighs> as we know, is like, like basically all of literature. Yeah. <laughs> no, by the end of this book, every notable <laughs> writer, poet, novelist, except journalist... Lewis, no, except C.S. Lewis. <laughs> except C.S. Lewis and, and that one author, that he, that one poet... Oh, yeah. I think keeps... <laughs> Um, I was reading interviews with Levy Stickett and there was this like college that did an interview. One of them was like, so I've read that C.S. Lewis is one of your inspirations. How did they affect like your story? And what, what are some other authors that inspire you? And Stickett goes, C.S. Lewis work is not an inspiration of mine. And I don't remember ever saying that. <laughs> <laughs> and they just list like other other. Um, okay, so the net. Oh, so with that VFD headquarters library, there were some pieces left mm. over from the fire that were able to help the orphans find the location of the last safe place. So moving on to the next one, it was the Quee Queg. I'll call it the book collection. So we I call have- I. I- <laughs> 
<laughs> separately without consulting each other i had already been documenting and making sure i had a <laughs> list of all the libraries to talk about at some point i didn't know what we were going to do with it but i'd been tracking to make sure i caught all the libraries what would the you call it i just called the mycology library okay well because there's two different things we have the mike my yes mycological library that is mostly fiona's work mm-hmm. stuff uh and then we had the secret uh captain Wittershin's secret library of poetry you're right you're well. right which honestly this is a, a dream library for me <laughs> right to my interests <laughs> But um, the secret library poetry wasn't really useful to no. the Baudelaire's. However, the mycological library was a bit useful because it was able to, they were able to use it to find information about the Gorgonian Grotto and to eventually uh, figure out the antidote for the medusoid mycelium with the help from Kit's letters. And does poetry not bud from one's imagination much like a mushroom budding from the earth we're not gonna get into the life cycle of a mushroom if you'd like to please see our episode on the grim grotto (laughs) or our disagreement on the pronunciation of mycelium did i sound you say mycelium i typically say mycelium oh i I don't know why i say how you say it i think you're right i think you're right we're bad. Po- we should be disagreeing that's, more if we want to make good content. Just start making out in the TV show. <laughs> I think you're right. Yeah. Well, you know what? <laughs> I'm a vampire. <laughs> and then you're making out with nothing. I'm gonna cut all of that. <laughs> you think people are gonna get that reference from a specific episode of a show they don't know about? Mm, episode two, three of the legacies. Anyways, okay. So next we have the Hotel de Numont. So how many libraries are you counting here? So okay, so we have the hotel itself, right? Right. And then we have the secret sub sub library. Right. So do we count we count the hotel as a library? Correct. I do count the hotel as a library. Because I did as well. Which is the type a hotel. And the use a harpoon gun killing uh I don't know if they could put that on the hotel. I, <laughs> I mean the hotel had the harpoon gun hiding in the closet. But no, I, there I wasn't the really people. any real use for the Hotel Denouement except for a flare. <laughs> I mean the whole plot revolved around the hotel, I would say. But it was like, pretty God, useful. Okay, sure. And that but, it was a location, right? The whole being it, it as a hotel wasn't really useful, but the building itself was important. And it was also a signal as it burned into flames um, for other VFD members to not come. Tragic. Which goes into your theory about the the vol- the VFD starting to prevent library fires specifically. Specifically, which I yes. love. That is, I, I'm that's canon for me. Oh, I love that idea. Same. It just because, makes yeah, so much because sense. like like what is the most tragic thing, or what is the most flammable and most tragic thing to burn? It's, it's libraries. It's libraries. It's like it's the greatest the, thing. It's the centers of information that yeah. that and like especially like public libraries, yeah. which you know fuel the knowledge of the general population which right. you know makes for great yeah i mean some people would be like well civilization maybe nurseries or like apartments where people would die i say who needs them knowledge is the only thing that transcends <laughs> space and time people 
but what are we still crying about now? We're yeah. crying about the Library of Alexandria being lost. We're crying about that library in fucking or <laughs> in in freaking South America yeah. that burned down before we were able to digitally archive all of the works. You can't even name any baby that died in ancient Babylonia. The Triangle Shirtwaist Fire? Name three people that died. <laughs> That's right, you sheep. <laughs> <laughs> protect libraries not people i'm gonna cut like, that's our official that. no 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 <laughs> protect libraries not people that's our official stance <laughs> i'm putting on a shirt no all fires are tragic but i do think that that's my theory we what about all the fire that burns in the human soul that's the most tragic that is the most tragic let's move on shall we to the last one <laughs> the ultimate <laughs> is the arboretum and again as we discussed earlier mm-hmm. this is a collection of everything that washes yeah. to the shores of this random island are we including the um cube i thought cube about raft. including that as well i think that is a special collection <laughs> that's special, yeah <laughs> included that's... within the general collection i like that i like that <laughs> But um, may, the main use for the Arboretum is to keep the Baudelaire's alive, obviously, mm-hmm. right? And to keep them company. And then finally, to give them the courage to go back into the real world. Right, because that decision is ultimately made as they read a passage that the, of the, their parents describing why they chose to leave. Exactly. From a book. From a book found Which they in left. the Arboretum. Yeah, yes. and they left the book uh, a series of unfortunate yeah, events there the for the next person. Yeah, yeah. Which I also love, which is also plays in the whole past of time and cycles and life. It's, it's all beautiful. good. Yeah. So yeah, that's it. That's my Yay. recap of all the libraries. I think they're all special in their own way. Obviously, some I have preference over, but we will get to that next time. I would say the Lumber Mill Library is distinctly unspecial. <laughs> but does that not make it special? Oh, again, yeah. But anyways, guys, we will be back with one more episode covering everything else, wrapping up a season of Fortune events, and then we are straight into Sad Boy Summer. Sad Boy Summer, get your tears. Ready. Sorry, get, your, get your tissues, get your tears, get your angst. Get your just aggressively puffed upon cigarettes that are stamped out dramatically in the or, ground. Or ones that you don't even like because it's a metaphor. That's a metaphor. That's a, mess. That's a metaphor, Hazel Grace. <laughs> Anyways, we are so glad that you guys stayed with us this long, and we can't wait to see y'all next time. We are going to do the typical two weeks until yes, the next. I have two books to read until next time. Yeah, so and I'm to... taking a liter, an actual literature course in ten weeks, which means I'm reading like two to three books a week. But to tide you over, we will have. I'm not exactly sure when it'll come out, but it should be within a week of this. A special interview with a special guest a little special episode yeah and you won't have probably heard of this person but all i'll say is give my regards to broadway <laughs> oh that was good <laughs> anyways if you guys want to check I'm out that so fast <laughs> anyways if you guys want to check out more from us you can find us on any social medias at nsya pod that's n-s-y-a-p-o-d that's right. And if you want to say hi, you want to give us your book recs, you want to give us your tier list, you can send those over to us at nsya, nsya at gmail.com. And our theme music was written by my buddy, 
Alex Moon. You can find more of his music on his Instagram, Facebook, whatever pages at Alex Moon. And we wouldn't be a proper podcast. And some would say we aren't a pro- proper podcast. But still, we're going to say, please give us five stars and all the things and leave a nice review and answer. If you have Spotify, we get a poll question every episode. Answer it. I like hearing the answers. I like seeing what you think. Yeah, I tr- we'd love to know your we thoughts. Just love you think. I just want to hear from you guys. Please talk to us. Let Interact. Us, let us know we're not shouting into the void. <laughs> Anyways, guys, most of all, remember, if you're going to build a raft, build out of things you like. Yeah. And you know what we all like? We all like books. We do. And if mine cough is around, don't put that in your raft. Don't do it. It just looks bad. Yeah. And you know what? Don't suck. Don't suck. My... Oh, wow. (laughs) good. I can't believe this is the end of the end, but also the end of our relationship. Oh. I'm taking the dog. Uh, <laughs> I thought you were going to like turn this into a weird proposal thing as no, boyfriend, I, girlfriend. No, I'm so sorry. You don't understand. <laughs> I'm doing the opposite. <laughs> uh, no, sir. We've already talked about this. You take the cat. I take the dog. I get all the neutral Mokoto records. <laughs> <laughs>